You're listening to an Imagine More podcast. The presentation you're about to hear was recorded as part of the 2021 Get That Good Life Conference. We've split this session into three parts. This is part three. Okay, so hopefully I've welcomed you all back to this final part of our presentation where we're going to explore um, the goal around what you can ask for and what you will not accept and a strategy for, for going about doing that. You can ask for your child to be included in the same learning experiences and opportunities as every other child in the class, and you do not have to settle for them being given something else to do. But in this final part of my presentation, really, it's about giving you some strategies to be able to to tackle that. Um, So I'm going to bring you back to our UDL analogy that we looked at right at the beginning of our session. And remember, Katie Novak talked about building in a buffet of options in a classroom so that children can go about doing the same learning activity, but in different ways and in different ways that suits them. A UDL mindset is about asking questions about, is there more than one way? Um, Is there more than one way or is there another way that we can engage my child with this learning experience, this this learning task? Is there more than one way or or another way that you can present information to my child so that it's easier for them to, to understand? And is there more than one way or is there another way? Uh, that my child can show you their learning. So they're learning the same thing, but they might just need to be able to show you in a in a different way. So UDL and questioning about there's more than one way, more than one option. Um, think about your pavlova, think about your buffet, and use those kind of questions to explore all the different pathways that students in a class may need to go about the same learning. And then my final strategy for you is reframing questions. The idea here is about you just asking questions that help you unpack and help you get to what the underlying issue or the underlying barrier is. So I've got three examples to share with you here. Um, There's a more detailed resource that I've put together in the Padlet that has got these examples and a little bit more context for the classroom. But I just thought we'd go through these quickly now and think about how asking a reframing question can help you maybe get to an endpoint that more accurately reflects what your child needs. So there's an opportunity here to challenge that negative mindset or the can't do mindset. And also this isn't to criticize our teachers, but it's to find a way to work with them to really get to that end point that we need. So this example here is when you hear your child always submits assignments late or not at all. That statement to me is a a can't do, It's it's a negative statement. And it presents the child as being the problem. So the solution that the school may be giving at this point would be that your child is getting a warning letter, um, advising them of what needs to be completed or they're at risk of getting an end determination for their ROSA or their HSC. So the problem and the straight line to the solution is the child is the problem. 
the solution is to give them a warning letter that they are at risk. So it doesn't help the child. But if we ask a reframing question, such as on the slide here, how many steps are involved in completing the assignment? What supports would my child need? It actually helps you to find out that the problem is not the child. The problem is, in fact, the way the assessment has been designed and the assessment is creating barriers so that your child gets blocked or stumped or overwhelmed and they don't finish it. So an alternative solution would be to provide the child with some with a scaffold or prompting or some regular check-ins with their teacher to actually support them to complete the assignment so that they don't get to the point where they need to get a warning letter and an end determination. So I've got another example to share with you. So in this scenario, your child is struggling to keep up with the pace of the work. And the solution, the straight line solution might be your child can't do it. So we're going to program from a lower level of the curriculum. So again, the, the issue is seen as in the child and the solution is to give them something else to do. But the reframing questions can really help you unpack what the actual barrier is so you can come up with a more productive solution. So in this case, is there too much content or is the delivery of the lesson too fast? So then you can start to prioritize essential learning. So if you think back to the example when we looked at the give up for Sarah, uh, the novel by Lois Lowry, what we did was to make the novel more accessible by turning it into an alternative format. But also instead of Sarah having to study all of the characters in the novel, Sarah could prioritize or focus on the main characters that linked to the themes of courage and the importance of memory. So we're not giving Sarah something else to do. We're making what everyone else is doing more achievable by asking those questions. What is it about the lesson, the pace of the lesson that makes it a struggle for Sarah? So it's not Sarah who's the problem. It's the pace of the lesson and then working out how we're actually going to change the pace or what strategies to make it more successful. And one final example for you here. So this example here is intended to illustrate how any difficulty in writing or composition runs the risk of your child being given something else to do because it, it's too hard. We've talked about some of those examples already today. But through the use of reframing questions, what are the alternatives? When could alternatives be used? We can use those alternatives for your child to participate in the activity. And the solution may be as simple as using technology as the alternative writing tool, which could look like typing on a keyboard, or it could even be speech to text. So the strategy that I wanted to give you here was really, uh, it connects with everything we've done through the whole presentation. If something doesn't sit comfortably with you, keep asking questions. Um, and the questions isn't to, to challenge the teacher or the parent, it's to work together to really identify what the issue or the barrier is so you can come up with those meaningful solutions. And I just wanted to go back to the goals that I shared with you at the beginning of this session. 
and then give you some time to think about any other questions before we move to our Q&A. So my aim for today was that you would feel confident knowing that all children can learn the same content or the same things, but just not in the same way. I wanted you to feel confident about the importance of having a well-thought-out goal to ensure and maintain high academic expectations as well as social expectations, and also to give you some strategies so that you know what to ask for, what not to accept, and actually how to go about doing it. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much. That was a fabulous presentation, very interactive and very practical, and Looks like uh, from the interaction we've had, people are hopefully experiencing that as well. And now, if Sarah's ready, we'll uh, throw some of your questions and see how we go. All right. So I'll start with this, um, this fabulous question, actually. Our child has experienced some high school teachers who employ UDL, have high expectations and presumed competence. What is the most powerful way to encourage the school to support, promote and encourage such teachers? and change the culture, mindset, practice of the whole school and all teachers? That's a, that's a fabulous question to start with, um, you know, starting with a really positive statement. So I'm very excited to hear um, that that's an experience in your school. In, in terms of how you can develop that into whole school practice, um, I, I think you just have to really celebrate what those teachers are doing and, um, and, and be open about it. If there are opportunities to do that by communicating directly with the principal, P&C meetings, if there are opportunities to talk about that. Um, I'm involved with a local high school at the moment where our P&C has established uh, a diversity and inclusion subcommittee. That would be a fantastic opportunity to be talking about the successes with UDL at the school. Um, I would be encouraging those teachers um, to connect with the UDL community on Twitter here in Australia and also in the in the US. And in terms of developing whole school practice, often one of the best ways to to anchor UDL as part of a school reform is to look at the school improvement plans and how it would link with particular priorities. And it can be a strategy that supports that being developed throughout the school. So thank you for that question. That's a great way to start. Yeah, great to hear that people are experiencing some of these things in action though. Uh, so there's another question. Uh, what advice do you have for parents when year advisor, learning support or significant teaching staff are limiting inclusion in school curriculum? Well, hopefully from this presentation today, um, you can see that, that the power of questions I would ask for a planning meeting with this with a significant person at the school and put those questions into to practice. Think about those UDL questions. Is there more than one way that my child can be in, involved with this? Um, I think it is important for, for you to let them know that's not part of your vision for your child. And the, the strategy of asking questions and working in collaboration with the teachers is about being positive and proactive. And I know for, you know, some of our parents that can actually be exhausting. But in terms of trying to find that positive way through, um, and then if you're still feeling some resistance, you know, hopefully there are some examples from today that you can actually use to draw on to say, well, I know this is happening in other schools or what supports are available for teachers to help them understand 
how they can do this because sometimes these practices that exclude our students can be because the teachers don't know what support is out there or how else to approach it. So it might be around finding the right support for the staff in the school. I hope that answered that question. I think so. I've got another one that that is somewhat related to that. Um, How can we support teachers to know that our students can do year-level content adjusted even without prior knowledge if they had missed out a lot in previous years? Look, often I think it can be asking the question, what do you do for any other child? For, For children who don't have a disability, we don't make these assumptions that we need to go back and fill in all the gaps. We find ways of keeping to move forward. And I know it seems like a simple response, but asking that question, well, what do you do for the rest of the class? Or what does this look like for other students can often be a way to pause the conversation and go, oh, okay, well, we do it like this. And, and then you can unpack that, that how. Yeah, that's a great idea because it's um, the students with disability aren't the only students in the class who might be behind in, in parts of that curriculum, right? Yeah. Um, finding the support for teachers to creatively improve access to the same learning for students with more complex communication may be a challenge. Have you seen this in practice? Um, The question is around, have I seen teachers working with students with complex communication needs in the regular classroom? Yes, and, and how that they can creatively provide access to those students to that, to that same curriculum. Okay, so 100%, I have seen and have worked and I am working with schools where students with complex communication needs are involved in their mainstream class, composing and creating their work using AAC. In terms of supporting this, I think that's where you do need to look to engage some external support. Um, I work as a, a consultant to schools and education authorities But it's also worth asking your school whether there is support from their regional office through the, you know, through the independent sector or through the the Catholic system or through the government system, what support is is available. Because I think it is important to acknowledge for some of our students, it really does require a different way of, of thinking and, you know, somebody to support you with ideas that they can draw on that they know they've used in practice is really helpful but uh, yeah so I would be at that point I'd be looking to source some outside support that doesn't need to be mm-hmm. ongoing but to do some capacity building. Yeah okay how do we manage tension between moving through the content with the required urgency and spending enough time on foundation concepts to maintain engagement? Yeah so I often think that teachers are under pressure to Uh, get through all the content and I often think particularly at high school there I'm just wondering if this is has come from a teacher this question Um, whether at high school there is a misconception that NESA requires all of the content to be taught Um, we sort of alluded to this with the example with Sarah and the novel I think it's really important that we prioritize content what is the essential learning that needs to happen as a part of this lesson or as a part of this unit of work What are the essential outcomes from the syllabus that we're going to assess? And they get prioritised. And it doesn't mean that you're excluding the rest of the content or the outcomes. But what you are doing is really narrowing the focus so that there is quality learning 
on some of the content um, with an opportunity to, to go deeper and to extend that learning. But for all of our students, do all of our students grasp all of the concepts all of the time as they move through the curriculum? I often use the approach of the big idea, often working with teachers to say, look, just tell me what's the point of this unit, of this lesson? And then using learning intentions, um, again, is a great way to really get your thinking around what are we really focusing on here so that we're focusing on the learning um, and we don't get stuck with, um, okay, we've got to get through all of these content activities. So uh, it's not an easy process, but it is important that we think about how we prioritise and that doesn't mean excluding content, but it's saying we need to focus on this. And then for those earlier skills, so those early literacy and numeracy skills that some students may need to be developing throughout their whole of their schooling, you're looking for opportunities to embed that as part of your lessons. So they don't practice separate communication skills in isolation of the curriculum or separate numeracy skills. They're developing those through the actual learning that's the same as the rest of the class. Thank you so much for your presentation. Thank you, my pleasure. And what a great audience with um, joining in with all the interactive activity. Yeah, it's been great. So thank you all. You've been listening to an Imagine More podcast. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to review us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And go to imaginemore.org.au for more great content. Mm-hmm.